welcome to the Pastured Pig Podcast, where we share the successes and challenges of raising pigs on pasture. We talk to producers all over the country, from small homesteads to large commercial pasture operations. Whether you're new to pastured pigs or have been raising hogs for decades, we hope you hear new ideas and new perspectives on pasturing hogs. Here's your host, Troy McClung. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Pastured Pig Podcast. Here we are yet another week. I think this is episode 17, so uh, so far so good. I haven't failed miserably yet and uh, neglected to post an episode. I appreciate everyone that's come on so far and, and those that are, are, are waiting for my response. I apologize if you have not heard from me. I have not deleted your information. I've not forgotten you. Uh, just trying to get uh, October's schedule of interviews set up. Uh, I've got a long list of people there that I really want to talk to. Uh, just bear with me if you would. Um, updates on the farm. Uh, a little dry around here in central West Virginia. been quite a few weeks, uh, about three weeks, since we've had any uh, rain of any significance, which is, is, is kind of typical for this time of year for us in West Virginia. But um, uh, we've, we've had a, a lot of rainy season here lately. Uh, so leading up to this, it's kind of it's kind of different for us to have dry uh, now. We've gotten used to being wet all this time, so having this dry is a little odd. Uh, so I'm having, actually having to transport water for the pigs. First time I've had to do that in probably four years. So um, that is what it is. It's it's all part of it, and uh, and we still have uh, plenty of water. Obviously, pulling from the wells, so it's not like it's an extra cost. It just makes me have to walk more and work more, which is something I need to do so I can lose some weight. <laughs> so I hope you guys are getting rain that you need. If you're if you're getting too much rain, I hope you get some dry coming soon that help dry out before the snow starts blowing if you're in that neck of the woods. Well, um, as with, with any podcast, as as we grow and, and you know, there's more demand and, and more uh, more time put into the podcast, again, I'm trying to make this as, as polished as possible. Um, and, of course, there's costs associated with that. So we've started to take on some sponsors, and um, I hope you'll bear with us that uh, this is kind of, uh, you know, kind of the nature of the business to some degree. But um, I promise you I'm not going to sell out and do – uh, sponsors of just anybody. Um, I'm going to try. If, if we're promoting a product, it's something we've tried out. It's something that we've used, and, and uh, I wouldn't mind putting my name beside it. Um, so one of those, the, the the first one that we're going to run into is a company called Olite. And if you're if you're like me on the farm, where you always need a good flashlight, you always need access to something after dark. And I have a drawer full of flashlights that are garbage. Uh, they're either rechargeable and their their battery goes dead, or they're not rechargeable and I grab it and the batteries go dead halfway out because I haven't replaced them, haven't kept up with them, all that kind of stuff. Well, um, a company called Olight reached out to me and said, "Hey, you got to try these lights out. These things are great." And honestly, I'd never heard of them. I discovered after the fact that it's a pretty popular light brand uh, when it comes to tactical lights and, and kind of higher end flashlights. They're a little expensive, but uh, but after getting some and trying them out, man, I definitely see why. So there's uh, there's one in particular, what's called the S1R Baton 2 Desert Tan. Desert Tan is a uh, limited edition right now. Uh, that's kind of what they're promoting right now. Uh, they sent me one. I tried it out, and probably the best... Uh, uh, the best example I could give is the other night, uh, kind of walking out after dark. I uh, heard some coyotes uh, in the valley, and I thought, "Man, they're a little close." I think they're, I think they're within my pig fence area. Normally, they don't cross the electric. That sounded like they were. So, and normally I grab a light and you know, you know shine it out there and see. Okay, well I can see two eyes. Are those coyote eyes, or is that something else, or whatever? Um, you know, raccoon. Yeah, that's usually what I'm used to seeing. It's just a little glow is coming back. <laughs> but so I grab this SR1, which, mind you, is is about the size of my thumb. And I'm, you know, I don't have huge thumbs. It's about the size of my thumb, and I hit that thing and put it in what they call you know, turbo mode or super bright mode. And I lit up the entire valley. I was really impressed with how how well that works. Uh, great battery life, neat charger. My favorite thing is this has a clip. So actually, when I'm up at the camp, our off-grid camp, I clip it onto my hat. You know, I always wear a ball cap. So I clip it onto my hat, and it becomes a headlamp. When I don't need it as a headlamp, drop it right back in my pocket. It literally is about the size of a pocket knife. So it uh, doesn't bother me to carry around in my pocket. 
Well, enough of that. Uh, if you want to check that out, I'm going to post a link in the show description there. We do have an offer code RTH9, and I'll put those details there. It'll give you 10% off anything in the store. There's a whole bunch of different lights. I now have about seven of these lights. Uh, I've really fallen in love with them, uh, so we may talk about them a little bit more. Okay, so on to our interviewer. And it's I love talking to you guys all across the country. I'm anxious to talk to some people outside of the country, uh, looking at some people in Australia possibly to talk to. Uh, but every once in a while you get a rare treat, and that's to talk to a fellow West Virginian. There's, uh, yeah, we're, we're a, size, a decently sized state as far as geography goes, but we're only 1.8 million people total in the state. And most people leave West Virginia. We, it's not like we have an influx of people coming in. Most people leave to find work and to find uh, better opportunities, I guess. But uh, this time I got to speak with a fellow West Virginian, and his name is Doug Downs. And he's in northern West Virginia, up in the area of Morgantown, home of the Mountaineers. Uh, he has a farm called Spoondle Farms. And I'll let him dis- explain why why his name is his farm name is called Spoondle. Um, but it's uh, it's it's pretty interesting. So it was, it's exciting to talk to a local West Virginian, and uh, yeah, I'm hoping to talk more with Doug and and be able to uh, maybe even meet up with him and a couple other pig farmers I know here in the state, so we can uh, maybe share some stories in person. Well, without any further ado, I'm going to jump right in and let Doug uh, tell a story. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. I'm excited tonight, and I know I say that every single time. I'm an excited person. But tonight, I get to have a fellow mountaineer on the uh, podcast with us. So we West Virginians, there's not many of us that stick around in the state. We all seem to go everywhere else. But it's great to be able to talk to a fellow West Virginian about pastured pigs. So tonight, I have Doug Downs with Spoondle Farms. Welcome, Doug. Howdy, Troy. All right. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to uh, sit down with me and talk and, and ex- uh, explain some of what you've got going on there. So, first of all, where are you? Where is Spoondle Farms? We are up. Uh, well, Troy, let me let me start by saying by thanking you, sir. I've really appreciated your your videos and your podcast. So oh. I'm glad to be on it. I'm glad to help you with the content, and I want you to keep it up for sure. Thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> all right. Well, right now where I am is in the backfield. Climbing up out of the trees after I got a little bit of fencing done. So give me a second to catch my breath here. It's a nice evening in Morgantown, West Virginia. That's what I like about uh, A, technology, but B, that you know, not a lot of pastured pig farmers who just sit around and, and wait to, to have interviews and that type of stuff. We still got to get work done. So make Oh, exactly. I, I was trying to get the chores and get the pigs fed before we got the talk in. So I got the old 3M Workmate uh, Bluetooth on and that's how I go about most of my day for sure. That's right. That works. Okay, so Morgantown, West Virginia, which for those of you who aren't intimately familiar with the West Virginia geography, that is in the northern part of the state and home of the Mountaineers, uh, Mountaineer football, which appears to be the only football in uh, in the state right now. Of course, I guess last week it wasn't much to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Okay, well, that's a whole other podcast and discussion. So, um so in the Morgantown area, I've, obviously the next obvious question I think a lot of people will be asking is, what the heck is a spoondle, and why is it on your farm? <laughs> spoondle Farms. Uh, about 14 years ago, my wife and I had been dating for a while. We were living in the Canaan Valley area. Hmm. I was a rock climbing guide at Seneca Rocks, and a lady at the pizza shop there gave me the nickname Doodle. I didn't think much about it. I figured if I didn't make a big deal about it, nobody would call me that. Well... All my buddies caught wind, and for the last 14 years or so now, I have been Doodle. My wife's nickname is Spoon, and so when we finally uh, were were a couple, we were the uh, had the mashup name of Spoondle, and when we bought the farm about um, six years ago, we had decided we were going to call it Spoondle. So, Spoondle is the Spoon and Doodle Farm. <laughs> That's excellent. I like it. I love a good backstory to a name. Not too many times you hear somebody just say, well, I just pulled something randomly out of the air. But it's, it's good to hear the backstory. Yeah, well, it's, uh, you know, the farm means a lot to us. Uh, and just putting our, our names on it like that, to me and her, I think it's one of the things that keeps us, uh, 
uh, keeps us working together. Every day we come home to a nice science at Spoonle Farms, and as soon as we pull up that driveway, we're reminded uh, who we are working together. Yeah. All right. Okay, so, um, man, obviously as a West Virginian, there's there's all kinds of things that pop into my mind, but let's I'll, I'll, I'm forcing myself to stay focused on pigs here. Yes, Troy, I do raise hogs on a hill. Yeah, no uh, doubt, the, exactly. The West Virginia way. So. Absolutely, that's right. I think our pigs have uh, two legs longer than the other two. Okay, Definitely. so let's uh, well, let's talk about your pig operation here. So, so kind of give me the forty thousand foot elevation, uh, you know, your farm layout setup, uh, breed choice, that type of stuff. Sure, we are. Uh, so, I would consider us to be a homestead style, a hobby style farm. Uh, our main goal really is to support an adventure, um, to something to keep me busy, I guess. And it started with the idea of we were going to raise a few chickens, of course. And we were going to then, uh, friends of mine had been raising some hogs, and I'd been helping him, and we loved it. And uh, and as we moved up to the Morgantown area, Morgantown had become pretty big inside the city. We decided to look outside. We found this 16 acres of uh, hillside and a little home, and it wasn't too far away from Morgantown. And we you know started with the idea that we were going to raise a couple hogs in the back and then a couple hogs it's you know in my mind just as easy to feed five as it is feed two as easy to feed 10 as it is to feed five and 20 is about where i'm drawing the line anymore so for a homestead cell farm we like to raise about 20 hogs a year and we lay it out uh in the back probably about the back Six acres is what we're using now. We have it cut up into a few different paddocks, and we're always expanding. It's a lot of hillside and mixed with a good wood line. Hmm. We do have massing trees, the hickory trees and whatnot, but we use the, the coolness of the forest for the hogs in the, in the summer, and then the pastures, of course, are just a great supplemental feed for them. Yeah, excellent. Excellent. So, uh, yeah, wow. So, yeah, that's that's the thing about, you know, it, for all the things we could complain about West Virginia topography, the uh, the Appalachian hardwood forest we have access to is just just incredible for pigs. Uh, yes. Uh, yeah, might have been vacuum cleaners in the uh, woods here the past couple months with the acorns. Acorns came on really uh, good this year, and the hickory's looking really good this year, too. The hickories are great, for sure, this year. Excellent. So what uh, what breed choice are you going with? Do you, do you pick mutts? Do you uh, have a choice? Well, you know, we've, we've definitely gone through the gamut. We've uh, we started out, I've, I've, had my, I've had my learning experiences. We had a few uh, mule foots to start. They were great fun pigs for our first pigs. I overfed them and I ended up with a really lardy round hog. I remember the first butcher we had, Basically, I told him to give me the back fat and off of a couple pigs, and uh, it was a trash bag. Yeah. But through through that, I did learn about the beauty of good pig fat. Uh, you know, I, I wanted to put it all to use. We've rendered lard, and this was maybe six years ago, and I still have jars of lard from that fat that are you know hidden away uh, in the in the fridge or the freezer, and we keep pulling them out. So then we moved from from the mule foots. I wanted a much better uh, a, a better mix of a pig, a leaner pig, but still something that that had a good marbling that did well on pasture. I was doing my research, and while there's just so many good pigs out there, there weren't a ton available close for us here in West Virginia. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I so what I did was I drove out to the Shepherdstown area, and I bought. A gentleman had been had been breeding Durox and Red Waddles for quite many years out there, and I picked up a uh, eight or ten that year. I brought them back and raised them up, and they were they were everything I wanted. Perfect. So I decided I was going to keep two nice sows that we still have, and we mixed them with a Berkshire. So we had a Berkshire Red Rock Cross. It's a mutt-like pig, but you get your pretty traditional um, mixes of those breeds. It's a good dark meat. Hmm. It's still a lean enough pig that it goes when it goes to market. The butcher's impressed by its uh, by its fat to meat ratio. They grow well. Uh, they do really well 
on pasture and in our environment. Then this year, we also took on, um, we didn't farrow this last winter. We wanted to take on some different, uh, take, take the winter off and we wanted to take on a few different hogs. So I was able to get some GOS mixes from down in the Fayetteville area from a good friend of mine. And I was also able to get a Tamworth large black cross uh, out of Ohio, both off of pastured pig farmers. And both of those we've been running this year are just doing exceptionally well. They're, they're fun pigs. They got the, all of them got the good floppy ears, and they seem to be gaining just fine over here at Spoonville Farms. All right. Would your Fayetteville connection be Mr. Stover by chance? No, oh, 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 Josh. Open. No, Josh runs those. Uh, Josh runs those Wessex, and he's been holding on to those. I've been. I'm gonna add him uh, to get some eventually when he's ready to start sharing. Gotcha, gotcha. But, <laughs> but I got um, Steve West and um, uh, down in Fayetteville, a good friend, and uh, Paul Harper over with uh, Woodland in Ohio was able to turn me on to some some good pigs. Two Thanks. guys that you should probably talk to as well. Excellent. All right. Well, good. So, um, so where are you with that with that breed lineup right now? Are you are you close to finishing? Oh, uh, we do. You know, we run. We just run a batch a year, so we look at trying to start to finish. Uh, when we fare to finish, we look at about ten months. Since I got a little jump start by having um, some of those guys get the wieners ready for me, we're gonna look at trying to get them out of here by the middle of November. Uh, most of them are, I have some up in the over 200 plusers and then a few just tagging uh, right behind at 200. Hmm. We like to take our pigs to right around 300. That gives us um, 100 on a half hanging weight. It makes the math easy for everybody. And we find that it just is a, that's the when the carcass quality really starts to get the best, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like that. Well, all right. So um, you talked about your pasture, and you said something I'd like to come back to. You had mentioned that um, kind of a hobby farmer, I'd say gentleman farmer, uh, you know, some terms that have been kicked around for years. But why that model? Why do you see in the near future, or, or do you do you think you're going to stay at that point? Do you say, hey, this is something we're just going to keep ramping up production? Or you kind of mentioned you're kind of hanging here. What, what's the what's the objective? Oh, well, there? well, Troy, you know as well as I do that uh, farming is a lot of work. And it's not always, um, uh, while we do everything we can to show a profit here, I like to shoot the goal of getting my hobby to pay for itself at the moment, yeah. uh, which it does. Uh, but we put a lot, of, you know, and that's especially if we don't really pay ourselves a wage. My wife and I both work full-time jobs. She is, you know, she's in town every day working at the local hospital. And I am a paramedic. I work two 24-hour shifts a week which allows me five days on the farm. Hmm. Yes, it's, well, those 24-hour shifts aren't quite as easy as they sound. Yeah, I was going to say, there's got to be some sleep in there somewhere. No, uh, we, 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 we try and get it there. But it, but it affords me time to be out here building and growing my farm. At the moment, we're very happy where we are, working uh, to learn more and more about pastured pig, raising pigs, raising better pigs. The real place that we're looking to head is actually – a smaller model craft charcuterie line. Yeah. I've, me and a friend have been very interested in, in uh, the techniques of uh, curing and preserving pig, making those great, uh, you know, cuts of meat, the copas, the specks, the salamis, the pepperonis, and having access to high quality pig is one of the things that we're doing this for it's not as easy to it's easier now but when we started it wasn't really that easy to just turn the corner and find a high quality pig up here in morgantown mm -hmm. so or or even in just you know in a lot of parts of west virginia and as you you know as well as i do that raising your own pigs out on ground it's just going to be superb compared to your commodity style pigs so we got started a lot with the idea that we were going to continue to push forward and uh as uh we we get a little older we get a little more invested in it i can see us uh you know a buddy of mine and i working towards a uh a nice little charcuterie joint hopefully some in one of those really nice mountain towns of west virginia yeah yeah excellent yeah that's wow there's a 
there's a whole podcast discussion there as far as, you know, what, what does that look like and, and what hurdles do you have to overcome? But yeah, I like that. That's, I think anytime you can specialize and value add a product that, um, Oh yes, it's, it's pretty obvious. And, you know, uh, I always tease that, you know, we're working towards baconing the whole hog, yeah. uh, which is what, what everybody wants. So right. Right. <laughs> we're, we're going to give it our best to try and get there. Exactly. Get top dollar for every cut. I like it. Oh, you, that's, that's the idea. Well, okay. So you talk about the full-time job and, and, and some of the details there. So have you found that there's, there's issues with that balance, especially with, with both of you working off farm? I mean, how does that work when? Uh, uh, no, not at, you know, not at all. My, my, I, the farm is a lot of the labor falls on me to, to get a lot of the infrastructure work done, do a lot of the veterinary, do a lot of the planning, the, the feed sourcing, uh, the overall direction in which we go. My wife is incredible in helping not only just encourage the farming, you know, not saying no, not trying to limit us, seeing that this is something I'm passionate about. And so she, she urges me to keep doing it, but she's also great. If I have to get up or if I'm late or on those two days a week that I'm not available, or if I need to go out of town for some reason, She's up there in her overalls and her muck boots. She's uh, getting the feed out to the animals. She's down in the goat pen checking all of our uh, critters down there, feeding the chickens and collecting the eggs. So we work together as a team, and it seems to make every day uh, achievable without ever um, putting too much burden on one of us to have to worry about who's going to be able to take care of our animals of the day. Well, that's great, and that's that's – that's so key. I mean, there's so much discussion to be had about teamwork on the farm, especially with our all-farm jobs and you know, getting everybody on the same page. If not everybody's behind it, then it, it makes things a little difficult and makes things a little tumultuous at times. We have teenagers, and sometimes they don't see the vision that I see on the farm. So, <laughs> so sometimes we have to work to convince them of why this vision well, is important. I guarantee you years from now they're going to look back and uh, remember it uh, more fondly than they than they did at the moment. Yeah, that's that's what I'm hoping. Uh, yeah, my 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 oldest has always said he wanted to be a city boy, and we we spent um, a couple of weeks. We spent some time in New York City, and he said, "Dad, nice <laughs> nice place to visit, but I don't want to live there." <laughs> there we go. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that with uh, having help. I just realized um, I had to as we we're talking, I had to text my wife and ask her to go out and feed the sows <laughs> because I had meetings this morning and wasn't able to feed them. So anyway. Sure. So yeah, it's it's a good balance. It's nice to have that help there, and again, everyone has the same, uh, at least the same overall vision. So yes, with yeah. with with that on your farm, you all are not um, you all are not a polyculture or not a monoculture, right? There's other animals that you have on the farm. Uh, yes, we uh, and you know, and since we're a hobby farm, none of these other animals really are um, for profit. I will say, you know, we raise chickens. Of course, that's where we started. The fresh eggs are are you know unbelievable. We've had an excellent uh, group of chickens for the last, uh, you know, six years or, or so, and, and we, I don't think I've bought a chicken in, in uh, quite a while. We have hens that do their best to raise really, really smart birds, and we just continue the lineage. Uh, we don't sell eggs. I, we found that the, the going rate for them or searching out the, the clientele for raising 30, pig, or 30 chickens really isn't worth the effort of daily scrubbing checking the eggs we collect what we want we eat what we want the rest get you know fed up to the hogs we also raise some goats uh more as a we call them the petting zoo hmm. we keep them down in the front pasture so as you drive past the farm people love them we have little dwarf nigerians that we took on um from a friend we were supposed to watch him for about three weeks that was uh, three years ago right. <laughs> and and then in the midst of all of that we ended up rescuing two uh pot pigs from from situations in which they needed to to uh be removed from the area they were at uh through a few nice people we were able to get them relocated to our farm and i'm just a sucker for taking care of animals i guess because we have spork and tank, two uh, tiny little permanent pet pigs that live with the goats full time. And when people come over and some of, uh, some of our customers, if they have kids, they like to see the sows, they like to see the pigs, but they can't always get in and pet them or interact with them in the same way as, as when a 50-pound large 
you know, tusked little black boar comes up to you and wants nothing but pets, the kids really light up. And I find that the goats and the pigs, they do their best in, in media coverage and uh, welcoming. Uh, they actually do a good job of selling selling pork for us. Exactly. Everybody needs a good PR man, and it sounds like you've got Oh, one yeah. It's a, we, we've got quite a few. We've got quite a few for sure. Well, excellent. So um, what about uh, – what? What challenges have you run into so far with raising pigs? What would be maybe your biggest challenge um, you've experienced? Oof, uh, well, you know, optimism and positivity are, are something that every, every pastured pig, every small farmer is going to have to take on, even in times when it's tough. I've had years where I didn't think, I thought for sure we'll be in the hole. How am I going to sell three pigs in the next three weeks? And for somehow, if I stay positive, keep feeding them, keep getting the word out, uh, it all comes around for you. So I, I'd say staying positive when that, you know, when you get shocked in the morning and then the pigs get, you know, muddy and run you over on the way in and then you realize you're almost out of feed and then the trucks need the tire changed that day, taking that positivity and just pushing forward is it's definitely one of the challenges that I have to overcome myself I like the, that. Um, yeah 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 it's i mean <laughs> i i learn every day farming i grew up in the suburbs i wasn't you know i was always an outdoor kid always loved the outdoors but farming who would have who would have guessed two kids from the suburbs would be uh running a pastured pig operation in their 40s but um so i'm learning every day on the go i'm learning about my fencing uh in, inventing watering tanks or or doing the research, putting the hours in. But I'd say just staying optimistic is really the biggest hurdle that, that myself and anyone else could could need to overcome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that, that's a great point. Attitude is so much. I mean, you can, uh, if you've got unlimited resources, which most of us don't, you can, you know, people throw a lot of money at stuff. But if, you're, if your attitude isn't right, then then you're really just spinning your wheels and, and wasting a lot of time. And it can get exactly. discouraging. And I think that's why we find some people are, are hot and heavy one day, really pushing hard, and the next thing you know, bang, they're done. They've gotten rid of everything. Yeah. They're just done because of burnout. Exactly. And it turns into a job. And it's, you know, I'm allowed to say hobby farmer or homestead farmer because uh, this, I, you know, it's not, it is a job. It is a lot of work, but it's not my job. And the day it turns into my job is probably the day that, you know, it'll be time to really reevaluate things. So. We try and stay positive. We try and keep enjoying it. If we're not enjoying it, it'll be time to, to move on. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing. I, you know, for, for so many people, it seems like I, I talk to people weekly that say, hey, we're just getting started. We're, we just decided to do this. And we, we, you know, what's your advice? All that type of thing. And, of course, I always say, you know, start small, grow into exactly. it. <laughs> and, and then don't, don't necessarily – I mean, there's, we, we've interviewed some great people that have turned – uh, you know, this into a huge uh, operation for themselves and been quite successful, but that's not, uh, to me, not how you measure success with with raising pastured hogs. It, it is, you know, go at the speed that you want, but you don't have to be a huge operation, quit your day job, and be a full time pig farmer to say I have a successful operation. I mean, I think you're I, you're showing a perfect example there of of trying to specialize and actually downsize in the number of hogs, but specialize in the uh, services you offer. Exactly. I, you know, there, if I had more land, maybe uh, we would think, you know, expanding, but the more we expand, the more time I need to put towards it, the, the, you know, and that takes away from some of the other stuff. So I, I agree with your statement. Tell everyone to start small. Um, make sure you're loving it every year as you st- put another, you know, foot forward, as you put more money into your infrastructure or you, you uh, reevaluate constantly uh, is this a choice that you want to stick with? Because raising hogs well is a commitment, and, you know, it's just not a uh, here's a quick batch of broiler chickens. It's a, it's a good, long commitment to keeping animals, keeping them healthy and happy and raising them with uh, quality. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's, let's talk about your finishing operation. So um, when it comes time to, to finish, obviously, hopefully you're doing this prior to, but how are you currently marketing your hogs to your potential customers? Well, we, so we do anywhere between about 15 to 20 hogs a year. We sell uh, right around four roasters in the early springtime. Um, then we have, uh, you know, usually about 10 or so, 10 to 12 holes and halves that we sell. 
to um, to individuals that we know through life, through work, through family, uh, through word of mouth. We've had some excellent friends who have been ordering pigs from us for years from the beginning who are constantly, you know, feeding friends at dinners or talking up our, our, our pig or the quality of our meat or just the care we put into our operation. So selling pigs isn't for us has become, uh, it's not as hard as, as maybe it once was. Another thing we do is a retail cut. So we take all our hogs, we have them processed into the major cuts. We prefer the, the real thick uh, pork chops, the bacon, uh, a lot of sausages, and some hams. We work with a very wonderful family USDA butcher about an hour away from us. We've really? been with them. Yeah, we've been with them since they, since they started up. So we've been very fortunate to have a close butcher that we trust. Uh, you know, she will call me if she starts getting busy in the spring to remind me to schedule my, my, you know, hogs. Yeah. Um, she's, she knows I'm going to be raising hogs every year. She wants to make sure I get in. She's not going to overlook her supporters. So she pays attention. They're farmers as well. And they do a great job with treating my animals well from the time I drop them off and seeing them all the way through the process. Hmm. But because we have a USDA process are so close and we're able to get our cuts processed and USDA stamped in West Virginia we are allowed to pay a five dollar yearly freezer sale permit fee and they send a individual around from the ag department and he inspects your you're allowed to sell out of your home mm -hmm. as long as you have a freezer that obviously in working condition and it is um, clean and has only USDA stamped meat in it and has a shelf next to it or somewhere so you don't have to put the meat on the ground. Um, I always thought that was a kind of funny, <laughs> funny <laughs> clause in there. But they come around, they give you the certification, you pay your $5 every year, and you legally can sell your USDA right out of your home. So we like to put together $100 bags. We don't sell a lot of, you know, per pound pork, we put together these $100 bags and we find that they sell the, the best for us. So that's a little bit of how we put it together to sell it. I find that that makes a lot of it easier. But the biggest way we keep people informed is we run a Facebook group called the Spoonville Farms Group. Mm -hmm. And when we started it, the idea was we were going to have a small group instead of a business page. Having a group allows us a little bit more management over it. It allows us to to, um, to not to, to be a business to alert people to what's going on, but it allows us to sell our lifestyle to 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 highlight the not just the pigs, but the whole farm and the whole way in which we go about caring for raising these animals and giving them back to our uh, supporters. Yeah, excellent. Excellent. Yeah, and I'll uh, I'll link uh, below. I'll link below. I always say that. Sure. And it's a it's a group, Troy. So people um, feel free to go on, look at it. We do have a business page, but I I really don't use it very much. Mm -hmm. I I've just found that that when I was using it, Facebook was all up in my business. Uh, running the group, they just leave me alone, thinking it's a regular group. So if you go to Spoonville Farms Group and you ask to join. Um, my wife and I will, will look you over, and, and if you're one of our pastured pig buddies, we're, we're more than happy to put you on there and let you join in the Spoondle Farms Fund. Excellent. All right. Well, let's uh, let's go back, if you don't mind, and talk about your processor a little bit first. Out of uh, out of personally selfish uh, intentions, is your uh, processor south of you or north of you? <laughs> no, there. You know, and I'll give them. I don't. I'm not afraid to mention their name. It's uh, Working H Meats over in. Uh, friendsville maryland oh, okay. so it's right over yeah. by the deep creek area yep. uh it's just uh we you know in morgantown we've got the intersection of 79 and 68 we are in a small town called pentrus just about 13 miles to the west of morgantown mm -hmm. so a quick hop out out the the road we jump on the highway and we trailer the pigs over and then a quick jump off the highway and up the hill and we're at working h meets they um 
they're just so if you would imagine um uh you know the deep creek area uh the um we'll call it the eastern panhandle of of west virginia mm-hmm. yeah if you go you know just just a little bit north of there you're fortunate enough to run into working age meats excellent yeah that's that's great and and that is um you know in west virginia of course that is a um that that's nice to have something that close because we uh, uh we lost our last usda processor here locally in central west virginia that i'm i'm aware I, of. I yeah you know. but we're is buzz still working towards it i know uh some of my boys down there are, are excited thinking that buzz foods might get a usda facility for you there's a lot of discussion going on about that and even a, a location that that i've heard is, is where they're going in and i've driven by that location several times and i haven't seen anything yet so i'm, I'm yeah. hoping that that uh, that turns into something mm-hmm well, I won't rub it in that I have two other USDA processors, just, uh, you know, another hour to the north uh, either. Um, I just haven't I haven't need to use them because I've been so pleased with my current butcher. Yeah, yeah, we've got a great processor just across the river in Ohio, but um, yeah, I've been trying to convince them to go USDA, but they uh, they will not. I, it's, a, it's a lot of hoops for them to jump through, and uh, I, I, you can't blame them. Um, but we definitely need more USDA processors available for these smaller, these smaller farms. It would make things a lot easier for everyone. It would, yeah, and I would agree. Either either more USDA or, or relax on some uh, some of these yeah. ridiculous uh, restrictions that they have in play. But well, that's exactly. a that's a whole other discussion. All right. Yeah, yeah, we could probably talk that one blue in the face for sure. Yeah. Well, um, we won't won't dive into this too deeply because I know this uh, is something that you're uh, you're still kind of putting together. But um, let's talk a little bit about these specialty cut areas that you want to get into. So, are you are you practicing at home with with some of your own pork on on some of these? Oh, um, yes, yes. Uh, uh, daily, daily, where I'm doing something of um, of, of learning, experimenting. Um, a lot of this this value added as far as charcuterie goes is it's understanding a good bit of the science uh it's trusting in in the proven techniques from the old world it's it's about expanding your mind and it's a lot of it's about patience and time as well the uh you know you'll you'll look at some of these classic prosciuttos the big hanging ham and you're seeing years invested in the aging of these hams so I'm currently working with some of our pork from last year, getting it ready for Christmas time. Hmm. Uh, you know, so it's September now, and and we're starting to put together some salamis, and we have some um, some copas in the smokehouse right now that have cured, but we're going to smoke them and then get them uh, drying here. So hopefully, come right around Christmas time uh, when the family's getting together, we'll be able to break out some of these these spoonle farm products unfortunately we can't sell any we're trying to stick to that uh, idea it's it's a very you know it's a food safety issue it's a liability issue Uh, we do everything as um, we practice with food safe techniques and we trust in our food completely but i'm not gonna i'm not gonna risk the farm on selling a little bit of um you know home cured meats or, or violating any of the the state or federal laws just to just to get an extra buck here or there right but i'll gladly cut you off a slice we'll gladly any party we go to we'll put together a plate on spindle farms group you'll always see us putting together charcuterie plates to take to parties or even if just friends come over excellent yeah and that man that's a great testimony right there too as people try that so i'm just curious so when you're when you're practicing on this um on, on farm are you getting uh, are you getting fresh uh, butchered pork back from the processor? Are you processing on farm? So are you are you doing butchering? Yeah. And- uh, we've you know my buddy and I have definitely done the the home processing. I think everyone who raises pigs in this matter you know has to pay a homage and and home butcher at least one pig. Exactly. The uh, the anxiety before the kill the the you know the the, the worriness, the excitement, the the grossness to the greatness. It's all a procedure that needs to be understood. Uh, you don't have to do it all the time. We, we found that we weren't the 
you know, while we were able to accomplish our end goals, it wasn't necessarily our favorite thing. Yeah. We will take pigs to the processor. If we want to break them up ourselves, we will have them, uh, you know, they do a scald and scrape up to about 400 pounds. Really? So it's nothing for us to get hundred pound halves back from our, uh, you know, in full, full condition. And my friend and I will break them down if we want to do a, uh, cure a whole hog. Or a lot of times I'll just have my butcher, you know, cut large, cut the ham up, and then I'll thaw it and cut it into the, uh, the seam it into the roasts and make the smaller hams. Mm-hmm. I, you know, definitely fresh meat, you know, you know, as you get into the intricacies of it, people will, will talk about the importance of, of a fresh green ham. But when you have such high quality meat, I don't, I don't mind working with frozen meat that's uh, six months old. You know, um, it's, you know, I'm. I'm just doing my best all the time, and if that's what I got, I'm going to keep going. I'm not going to stop my process just because it's frozen, for sure. Yeah, it's funny you say that because we've we've been exploring in very similar ways on Red Toolhouse. We've been exploring uh, some of those on on our own and saying, okay, well, let's let's take something that's that was flash frozen by our uh, our processor and let's thaw it out and let's play with it. And it could be something as simple as as you know coming up with a new sausage blend or or, or trying some different different techniques there but yeah I, I i agree that i think we're dealing with the quality of pork that you're, you're you may have you know if you could chart it on a graph you may have a little degrade in in flavor and texture and some of those things but i, I think it still stays very high compared to a commercial production oh definitely i i think we're if you're working you know if you're if uh if you're fortunate enough to raise your pigs to be able to work your own charcuterie uh, you're you're always going to be leaps and bounds ahead of the uh, you know commercial grade charcuterie or or somebody who's um, uh, looking at it from using a commodity pig as a necessity uh, procedure. So we're very fortunate. You know, all of us should be should consider our blessings when we get to cook up our own bacon at home and realize not only is it good because it grew in the backyard, but it's, it's great because it's raised well. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I like that. So Doug, what, um, looking at the future of spoon to farms, what, what do you see moving forward? What, what's on the horizon, either, uh, near goals or long-term goals? Well, we're going to, um, get these hogs off this year. We're going to, uh, evaluate what our goals are for next year and see what our market is looking like. I need to take a look. Feed's gone up a little bit for me. So I need to take a look and see um, and pull some people and see what kind of price increase we can support. Um, We might, we might possibly by the time the crunch numbers come down, go to a five pig operation. um, Or we might put the bore on with uh, our three sows and, and actually put a fourth in and see if we can't get uh, 40 hogs to, to split between my farm and another farm so we we just have to we just kind of got to look and see where we're going to go it's one of the uh one of the big benefits of having a a a hobby-based farm we're we're not we're not held to quite the same clutches as somebody really grinding out um their living with it Uh, yeah total total respect to anybody who can do that yeah and and that's a good point again i know we've talked to us about this already and i don't want to beat that drum but it it's so important i know people get excited about this they may have success the first year and they say okay i'm going to go out and i'm either going to drain my savings or i'm going to go ahead and get a, a small business loan and i'm going to invest x in this and then you find that um you know obviously the market changes but also you know it, it kind of takes the fun out of it sometimes you say okay i yep. gotta go out and do this to make a bank payment to get money back in the account i got you know, this is something i have to do Versus um, saying, hey, I, I want to just cool off a little bit this time or, or try something different. Definitely. So. And as far as next year, I definitely uh, I owe my wife a honeymoon. I know it was 10 years together, six years of marriage. And, uh, you know, she's helped support me through 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 everything. And I still owe her a honeymoon. So so part of the, the re- recall for. For what's happening next year is is a, a honeymoon exactly and now now that i've said it she's going to hear this and hold me to it so. that's right yes this is this is being recorded so this is uh, audio evidence yeah it's funny you say that i my uh our 25th is coming up uh, next summer and and it's it's got to be um 
it's got to be something. It's got to be something better than what it's been. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll see yeah. how that goes yes, too. <laughs> I know they, yeah, uh, 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 not only do you owe it to her, you owe it to yourself for sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. Well, um, Doug, one thing I ask everyone on the podcast, and uh, you'll be no different here, is what is your favorite part about raising pigs on pasture? Well, I think I think that's becoming your your catchphrase there mm-hmm. for yeah. every. The, I know it's a great question to ask at the end, and fortunately, I've gotten an opportunity to listen to your podcast and listen to what everyone says, and I'll get right in line with them. So many great answers, uh, and a lot of people stating the obvious that spending the time with the animals, being out here. Uh, you know, having a purpose to to get up, to go feed, and then noticing the small intricacies, the personalities of the animals, watching them grow, interacting. That, of course, is going to be a a a great driver for me, and one of my favorite things. Providing quality meat, uh, quality food to my friends and family, and being part of a movement that is looking towards ethically raising animals, that um, not just ethically feeding them but giving them the space to run giving them the the nature and the the herd to interact and not just um, stall floor you know concrete floor or feeding in the stall or or small pen is uh is another thing i like but one of my favorite things troy is i feel like it gives me a bit of identity Uh, if uh since I've been a little kid, I, I felt like if I could identify myself with something, if I could take my passion and wear it on my shirt and be proud of it, something that would help direct me uh, honestly forward. So as a you know as a young man, I was I was interested in skateboarding, and that's that's what I was a skater. And then I, I grew into fly fishing, and and you knew that was the guy that was always fishing, always fly fishing. And then, uh, you know, as I hit my, my teens and my 20s, I was very engrossed and very passionate about rock climbing. I worked as a climbing guide at Seneca Rocks for many years, traveled all over the world, climbing in Asia, climbing in all through the United States. And that was my identity. Uh, as, I, as I matured past that and slowly as we built this farm, I, I love it when somebody who doesn't know my name looks at me and says, you're the guy with the pigs, Yeah, <laughs> you know, or, or you're introduced at a party or anywhere by a good friend who says, this is Doug. That's, you know, the meat is all his. He makes the best meat. You get every meat joke in the world pointed at you and you just love it. So exactly. I feel like having this farm, um, while I don't let it own me, I think it helps define me. And, uh, I get to wear, I get to wear it proudly. Yeah, I love it. I mean, that's that's a great answer. That's probably the best answer we've had so far. Very, very. Deep. Well, I've, I I have had time to think about it. All right, all right. these all these great people, all these great podcasts before me. It's, I've, I've kind of had the uh, opportunity to think on it. So. Well, you know, and you make a good point there, and and I would I would definitely agree with that. There is there is a welling of pride, and obviously we're not supposed to be prideful, but there is a welling of pride when somebody points out to you that. Or, or, or sees you and says, hey, you're that guy, you're, you're this, I appreciate X, whatever those efforts are, I appreciate that. And then, especially when it comes to, to you know, raising animals and producing meat, if somebody says, oh, so-and-so shared your bacon with me the other day, that's unbelievable, that's the best bacon I've ever had, you know, all those type of things. And it, it really does. It, it, it's one of those things that you can kind of check a box and say, wow, okay, that's, that's, that's nice, I really like that. I like how I feel when I get that interaction. I know. And we, you know, through the power of social media, we're able to uh, do a great job highlighting, you know, not just our, you know, what we feed our hogs or where they're raised, or here's a picture of our pigs, but we get to share our daily thoughts, our hardships, show everything. And, uh, you know, I'd be, you're always surprised when people come around and they say, wow, I've been watching your stuff. You know, you might only had 20 or 30 likes on that, that social media thing. And you thought that's great. You know, some people follow my stuff. But behind that, there's definitely a lot of people that are that are taking the time to look at your stuff and they bring it up with you and they express such um, excitement in what you're doing, thinking it's, uh, you know, uh, it, it's brave. It's something else just to live a little bit outside the box. So I do enjoy I do enjoy being able to 
to, you know, be happy about my farm, invite people out to my farm and share my, share my learnings with other people. Excellent. All right. Well, very good. Well, Doug, I really appreciate your time. I, I know uh, we talked about kind of keeping this within a time range there, and we'll, we'll honor that so you can continue your evening and get some stuff done before the, uh, before the sun goes down. So um, I am going to post in our uh, show notes uh, the link to to Doug's Spoondle Farms group. So if you guys want to check that out, feel free to do so. Um, any other media contacts you have there, Doug? Uh, that's nope. That's just about what we're using right now. So every you know you can look. We have Spoondle Farms as the business page. It's got a phone number on there if you needed to get a hold of me. But for the most part, just go to Spoondle Farms group, or you can always uh, private message me on um, on Facebook. Just you know Douglas Downs. You'll see a guy standing there with his pigs. Uh, it's it's pretty easy. So, <laughs> any anything anyone needs, you know, just let me let me know, and I'll be more than to do my best to help out. Before we go, Troy, I just want to um, do a little West Virginia pride here, and and say <laughs> there's there's a lot there's a lot of really good farmers in the state of West Virginia, yes. and uh, you know we're a small state. Sometimes we end up the butt of a few jokes. Uh, we have some issues here and there that that don't get um, always the best light, but there's a lot of great people here and there's a lot of great people raising pigs out in West Virginia now. So as you, uh, as you go around here, I'll encourage some of the guys I know to, to give you a call up and just, just, uh, you know, just get on the record, letting everyone know that we're raising pigs and we're raising them well here in West Virginia. Absolutely. Good. Well said. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I've lived uh, 43 of the 46 years of my life in West Virginia, and the three years I was in Florida, I uh, I really missed it and wanted to come back home. So I, uh, I I agree. There's there's nothing quite like West Virginia. It is a, it is a beautiful state. Excellent. Well, Doug, we appreciate your time, and uh, pray you have a good evening. And I'm sure we'll talk again. No problem, Troy. When you need someone to interview you, uh, let me know. I'll uh, I'll ask <laughs> questions you can answer. There you time. go. All right. Well, take care, Doug. Have a good evening. Well, all right. Well, I, I really appreciate Doug uh, and coming on, and really I really liked his story there. Yeah, even with the even with the crazy farm name, that's pretty cool. So uh, yeah, I'm hoping that uh, yeah, Doug, if you're listening to this, hopefully we can get some meetup time with some of the other guys uh, here in Central West Virginia and see if we can uh, move pastured pigs further in the state. Well, if you guys, uh, if you know anyone that you would like to have on the podcast, you'd like to hear from, I've had some really good requests. We've got, um, I think we've got an author coming up, uh, Kathy Payne, who has written about um, the American guinea hog. She's got a book out. We're going to be interviewing her in the next couple of weeks. So look for that uh, uh, interview to come out in the next, uh, probably be a couple months from now, but uh, anxious to get her on. So, you know, we're getting more and more people on. If there's uh, you know, anyone that you'd want to hear, or if you want to be topic specific, let me know. Uh, just go to redtoolhouse.com, click on our pastured pig podcast link, and you can use that form there to make some suggestions of topics. Uh, if you haven't had a chance yet, if you would mind, give us a rating uh, and a review, and that helps other people find us. I uh, appreciate everybody listening and, and appreciate all the good feedback. All right, take care, everybody. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. To learn more about our podcast or to submit topics or recommend guests for future episodes, visit redtoolhouse.com. 